This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Welcome back to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I am Doug Scott, joined as always by QB11. Andrew, how was it being back in Austin? It was great. I got to spend some time with you and Shelby and some of our other uh, Oregon friends from the, uh, I guess, the online community. And then it was good to be back in the uh, stadium with our my usual group. So, um, unbelievable time and uh, just well, I don't know. There, there's just a feeling that that stadium gives me. I think it's it's like a mixture of nostalgia and then um, just like the the love I have for the program and the team. And it's a, it's a special place. And just being back feels really good. All right. So be honest with me now. You were singing coming home, weren't you? Absolutely not. I and it's funny because everyone in our group makes fun of me when it comes on because they know I hate it. So, <laughs> but I will say you know, like. From a game day standpoint, there was a lot of things that were improved. I thought, um, well, first of all, the ball delivery was fantastic. Oh my god, that parachute show was insane. There was they should, like if seven, they could do that every week, they should. Like that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, like seven, seven or eight different guys parachuted into the stadium, and they had all kinds of acrobatics in the air. It was it was phenomenal. If you haven't seen that, get online and check out a video of it or something. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it was. Incredible. What else? Um, what do you mean? Oh, you said some some of the game day stuff was better. Oh, I just felt like the like the overall. Okay, one thing I'm really sad that's gone, and I might sound like an idiot because this could have been gone last year, but unfortunately, I didn't make it to any home games last year. Where, where the heck was the Chevron car race? Yeah, they got rid of that. Um, I don't think it was there last year either. I actually like tracked on a yearly basis, like if my picks in that. And so like, I was pretty damn good. Like the first year they brought that out, I was like five and five, the first five games or something like that. Yeah, no, that, that, that's always fun. But no, overall, again, I think that the, that it was great to see the students show up early. Um, I got to my seat about an hour before the game and to see the student section, like two thirds full at that point. Yeah. 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 And then just completely packed 30 minutes before kick and, overflowing throughout the entire game really until the very, very end when it was over. That was awesome. It's good to see that the students are back and um, the, the environment the out. provided. Yeah. The stripe out was good too. I thought that was, it actually nice... worked much better than I expected. Yeah. And you like on the, on the video that they posted on go ducks of the, of the parachute, you could see it really well from above. It looked pretty cool. So um, 
yeah, I, 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 the environment was fantastic. The tailgating was awesome. The game provided the, the uniforms looked great in person. Um, I've got, I've got no complaints. I think it was a fantastic experience from start to finish. Any complaints about the game? Kyle Casper needs to catch that slant. <laughs> yeah, I mean the ball. Because some of us had over forty-five, and some of us had an over team total forty-five. I'm not going to name any names, but yeah, I know there was some people. I think on the Cover Three Pod were were a little unhappy uh, that that Oregon. It was one of those things where in the second half, for the same reason, because our defense played so well, we didn't have to score more. Like we, we could yeah, have I mean, you, eighty. Yeah. I mean, it was third, thirty-five, nothing, thirty-five, nothing at the half, and then up forty-two zip, and then like you said, that that they really should have been up forty-nine zip on that play, and then obviously the bow, you know, kind of interception, which was Troy Franklin was wide freaking open if he floats that ball over. Um, yeah, that's yeah, an interesting. Certainly could have been a, a could, certainly could have been a score, you know, in the fifties, maybe should have been, but you know, <laughs> not gonna uh, complain too much about a forty-two to six victory. Yeah, no, de- definitely no complaints. And again, like obviously we all have our little angles with our betting, but um, by and large, I thought it was a fantastic performance. I think Dan called it a complete game in all three phases, and I can't really disagree with that. I thought it was really impressive. So um, I'm ready to kind of break that down more and, and dive a little bit more into it because I think that I think we nailed it on our preview show um, in terms of kind of how this game was going to play out and the way that they were going to try to attack us. Yeah, I mean, I... I don't know that I was as, I mean, I think we did nail it overall. I mean, I don't think any of us predicted like we have shut them out and keep, I mean, they were at like 70 yards through three quarters. I think they were at 46 total yards uh, up until late in the third quarter. I mean, it was at one point, the yardage late in the third quarter was 436 to 36. Uh, And then obviously the fourth quarter and, and Colorado was desperately trying to get some points on the board and they obviously eventually did, but it, it became clear that I, cause I kept going, gosh, when is he going to pull Shadur? Because like he needs him for the rest of the season and why are you going to risk an injury to him? But it became clear he wasn't going to pull him until he scored. Yeah. They wanted to get something on the board. Um, and I can almost respect it. I think it's kind of lame, but whatever they scored on our freshman team and they faced pretty strong resistance from the freshman team. So um pretty sure that if we had I to think... play with those guys all day, we still would have won the game. Um, but I I think it was an unnecessary risk on Dion's part. Like you're without Shadur at this point, like that's a team that struggles to beat win another game. Um with him, I think that they've got a chance. Obviously they could I think they can beat ASU. I think they've got a chance against Arizona. Um but I if if they keep allowing him to get hit the way he's getting hit on a plate after play basis. And I think that Dan kind of teed it up in his press conference when he's like, well, we knew that they weren't going to try to run the ball. And so we were able to do a lot of different things in the pass rush. And we sacked him seven times and probably hit him another seven to 10 times. And um, he was just getting crunched over and over again. And I don't think that that's a sustainable way for them to play throughout the rest of the season, not while keeping him healthy. No, I mean, there's there's some things they can do differently structurally maybe to help them. But I think also, like, I mean, the guy's just got to learn to throw the ball away. I mean, like, the problem is when he gets under pressure, he retreats straight back. And that puts him in a position where, A, he's not outside the tackle box. And, B, he can't, you know, he, there's nowhere to throw the ball away to, right? He's got to learn 
to you know when you're at that pressure you got to bail out to the side give yourself a chance and also give yourself an opportunity to just throw the ball out of bounds but well i think you need I, to I give why he does yeah I, I, well part of it was because he couldn't right like there were like he's not a super explosive athlete um first and foremost so for him to escape laterally like that when when we have a good controlled rush and we have good gap discipline on our rush is not something that's easy for him to do and second of all i think that Oregon, like, and then the defensive staff had a good plan, and Oregon did a really good job of having good rush discipline. I think that they rushed um, with good leverage, and because of that, it wasn't easy for him to escape to the exterior of the pocket and throw the ball away. Um, in fact, a lot of the times the pressure was coming off the edge, and so forcing him to step up into a collapsing pocket because guys like Brandon Dorless, Pope Omave, uh, were, were pushing the pocket from the inside as well so I, I think it was just because of how bad the offensive line was getting dominated there wasn't really a lot of opportunity for him to break the pocket pocket to the outside um, and i think that that who he is as a player he likes to climb the pocket and try to make plays and uh so i think it's a mixture of factors that that played into that but i think that oregon's defense and, and tosh will play the defensive coordinator and tuyoti and dan lanning and everybody involved deserve a lot of credit for the way that they've coached these guys up and and just that the, the the rush discipline that exists on this team and it makes it hard for guys to escape the pocket and get out and throw the ball away because they're rushing they're rushing with good gap integrity yeah let's talk about that defense to start the game because i think that's the story here right i mean we saw we saw a bit of it uh, at hawaii getting the hawaii game but man we really saw we really saw a lot more today against you know a competition that offensively is a lot better than hawaii and has been been you know pretty good offensively all year long and and man that really there's a lot to talk about on this defense i mean like i said before i think colorado was at like 36 total yards through most of three quarters and ended the game with 199 total yards but again you know 120 of that was i think in the fourth quarter kind of extended garbage time uh oregon held them to 3.4 yards per play um you know only 159 passing yards um Shador, 20, you know, 159 yards, a, t- a touchdown, no interceptions, but only 4.8 yards per per attempt, which is obviously very low. And Oregon is fourth in the country in defensive yards per attempt in the passing game so far. Obviously, that's, you know, small sample size with the three. It does include the FCS game, but it was small sample size with Texas Tech, Hawaii, and Colorado, but still something very, very encouraging for, you know, as we gear up to play, you know, much more prolific passing offenses down the road. Uh, Colorado can't run the ball, which we said going in, and and they didn't, um, you know, just – and they didn't really attempt it all that much. You know, they had uh, – outside of the sacks and, and quarterback runs, they had about 15 carries in the game for, you know, 50 yards or so. So pretty much what they do all year. And it, like you said, it really allowed Oregon to kind of tee up in the pass rush and, boy – where do you want to start? You want to start with the front or you want to start with the linebackers? You want to start with the back end? Well, I think you can just talk about it holistically. The whole group played really, really well. Um, I don't think that there's really a whole lot of negative to glean from this performance. Just flat out across the board. I thought the corners played well. Um, my only questions are really on the injury front. Like Jaleel Florence played a lights out first half. We didn't see him in the second half. Uh, I saw Brian Addison lip off the field. Is he going to be able to come back? in the short term, um, like, is he back this week or is it something where he needs a two weeks with the, with the bye week to be back for UW? Um, but 
I'm more concerned with injuries than I am with anything else because I think that that group is playing at such a high level. Evan Williams is playing fantastic ball, flying downhill, making tackles. I think the one thing that's most impressive, and I think this is true across the board, is the, is the open field tackling this year is so vastly improved over a year ago. Um, when the ball's caught, people are running to the ball. Again, they're, they're running with good leverage. Uh, and then they're they're finishing tackles when they get there. There was not a, a lot of broken tackles, and because of that, Colorado's passing game was very much dink and dunk, and they weren't really able to do anything with it. Um, and that's a team that has, with Sean Lewis as their offensive coordinator this year, has been able to to generate a lot of explosive games using some of their intermediate passing game um, to spring guys open. And, and Oregon just really suffocated them and and removed all space in in the back seven. So. Um, and, and then with the front, I think we just – it was utter domination on both sides of the ball up front. They weren't competitive. I didn't expect them to be competitive. They don't have the players to really compete with us up there. And uh, the thing that impresses me most about this is if you would have asked me on Friday how much I thought they were going to score, I would have said probably like 13 or 17 points. But they didn't really – I mean, they, they got a late touchdown against our threes and freshmen. Um, and they weren't ever even in – like they never even threatened to score until no. that part of the game. I mean, they were never, I mean, they might've got past the 50. I think they punted once from the 38 when they were down 13 zip. And that was probably the only time they passed midfield until like late in that garbage time area. Yeah. So uh, it, it's tough to nitpick. They, they played a really, really strong game. They did what they were supposed to do. Um, and in fact, I think that they were more emphatic and more dominant than I expected them to be. So uh, this was a really good benchmark performance for the defense, uh, but the offenses that we're going to be playing get a lot better here going forward. Yeah, I mean Jimmy Horn Jr. only had one catch for negative four yards. You know that's that was pretty impressive because he's got 25, 26 catches on the year coming in. The other one, Xavier Weaver, he did pull down nine catches, but only for seventy five yards. You know, long of twenty one, and I think some of that was kind of late in the game as well when they were moving down the field for like against the the third teamers. So. Uh, you know, Kyrie, Kyrie Jackson. I mean, what can you say? Uh, three pass breakups in this game. You know, he just was, it, it showed you why he was such an important get for Oregon out of the transfer portal coming over from Alabama. And he really just seems to be getting, that's the thing, actually, everybody on this defense, and particularly in the DBs, I mean, this seemed to be getting better every week, right? I, he That was his best game, most complete game so far. I thought, uh, you know, like you mentioned, Jaleel Florence has been better every week. I thought Manning did a good job replacing him in the, you know, later in the game when he wasn't in there. But Evan Williams, again, first game, he didn't play the first game. Second game, he looked a little rough. Now he looks like, oh my God, this guy's a stud. Of course, you know, and Taishim, same thing. Like those, like Kyrie, Taishim, and Evan Williams all played every meaningful snap in this game. And I think that I think there's a reason for that, right? I mean, they're just clearly uh, impact players back there. Yeah, 100%. And I think coming into this season, we knew that Evan Williams was going to be good. But when you miss a good chunk of fall camp and then you come back in that tech game after getting zero snaps against Portland State, he's a little rusty and we're seeing him settle in. And I think we're seeing that really across the board with all the transfers on, on both sides of the ball. Guys are settling into their roles. Um, they're They're playing more confidently and comfortably within the defense. Uh, and I think that can also be said for the guys that are returning players. And there's there seems to be a greater confidence in the guys or in the guys around you to do your do their job, uh, which I think is liberating and allowing our guys to play fast uh, and, and instinctively. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought the linebacker play again continues to get better as well. I thought you know Jamal Hill played his best game at linebacker. In my opinion, he was everywhere. 
yeah i don't i don't disagree with that at all i i would say that as the season goes on my overall confidence in the back seven of this defense is growing by the week um and i i think we knew coming into the season that we had good pieces um, but it was like how are they going to perform within the scheme like what is that going to look like once we get into live bullets and they've answered the bell every week like there's really there's there's really not a lot to complain about with that group um and so with that in mind i I think that we're just in a position now where we have all the pieces that we need like again i think we'd like to be deeper in safety um again we'll see what the what the status of brian addison is going forward um after he limped off the field but with our when our ones are on the field, I don't I don't think that we have any liabilities. I think that all five of those guys are better, with the exception of of Christian Gonzalez. I think that our fi- all five that are playing this year are better than the second best guy that was playing last year. Yeah, no, I, I got you. I got what you mean. Yeah, so one one through six. Yeah, we, yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, you know, another another one. You know, I remember in the preview episode of the season we talked about, or I talked about. You know, you really kind of need either Mateo or Tuioti or Purchase. You need you need at least one of those three guys to become a guy you can be relied on and play. You know, every down, you know, play meaningful all minutes. Guys starter, that caliber play. player. And all three of them are, are are playing and playing well. Yeah, that's the thing too. And like the the week to week development is showing itself. I know that there's a bunch of Husky fans that think that this program doesn't develop its players at all. I I would challenge you to watch the film of our edge players from week to week because Tuyoti and Purchase and Mateo were all getting better every week. Um, and they're getting True more comfortable and they're starting to make more and more plays. And um, again, like those are some pretty rough tackles that we were going against there for Colorado. So I definitely don't want to get too carried away. Um, but they're, they're starting to win and it's not just that they're winning. It's how they're winning. Like seeing, seeing Blake Purchase get upfield. I know uh, uh, Jeff Schwartz tweeted out the clip, but seeing, seeing him get upfield, play with good pad level dip and rip and actually get the edge. He, he had been just kind of running into tackles for the first couple of weeks. Like he's becoming more comfortable. Um, he's starting to, to show and display more of a rush plan and more versatility as a pass rusher. And I think that that bodes really well for Oregon going forward through the rest of the season. Yeah. Jordan Birch also played his best game as a duck. Uh, and then obviously Brandon Dorless is, is Brandon Dorless and same with Popo. Yeah, I mean, those guys just kind of do their thing every week, and there's not very much variance in regards to their, um, to their, uh, to their play and the consistency in which they play. But with with the older, with the transfers and with the younger guys, I think we're seeing, um, we're seeing that development take place on a week to week basis. And I think that uh, we saw Dan hint to that when he was talking about Kyrie, and one of his favorite things about Kyrie is how he can coach him, right? Um, and we, we've seen that. Like Kyrie wasn't getting his head around and playing the ball as well early in the season, um, and now only four weeks in, like he was, he got his head around and was playing the ball all the time. And because of that, he was in a position to make a lot of plays uh, without getting pass interference calls called on him. So, uh, just again, really impressed with the development of this team so far throughout the the very short early parts of the season. Uh, and it, it gives me a lot of confidence going forward that there's still quite a bit of juice to juice to squeeze with this group. All right, let's uh, take a quick break, and then we will come back and talk about the other side of the ball.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and we are back on the QB11 show. QB, let's talk about the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, dominant performance, 35 first half points, uh, another seven there in the second half before kind of giving way to the, you know, <laughs> kill the clock mode after that. But uh, where do you want to start here? I mean, obviously, Bo Nix, four total touchdowns, you know, 28 of 33, so eight, almost 85% completion percentage, 276 yards, three touchdowns through the air, ran for another one, did throw that one underthrown ball for a you know really unfortunate interception ill 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 placed ball there but i, I mean I, overall he was pretty masterful in his performance yeah i think uh the thing that really stuck out to me about this performance was just his command of the offense like outside of the one interception he he just played really clean football he didn't put the ball in harm's way um he was distributing the ball at all three levels of the defense with confidence and like like Dan said in his presser, like there's a lot of things that we don't we as fans we don't know that he's doing, but the the staff is routinely bringing up just his impact um, from a like checking calls of the line of scrimmage, getting us into the right look, calling protection standpoint, uh, and because of how well the offensive line is playing, I think you have to give Bo a lot of credit for that because I think he's putting us in. He's helping put the offensive line in, in in good situations where they've got the numbers, angles, and grass to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And then obviously coming back, Troy Franklin, I mean, just continues to have, you know, a dominant season. And, you know, where we saw last year, whether by the offensive design or the game flow or whatever other reason, where he was even more important last year because we just the drop off and in, in talent level at receiver was much more steep after him last year. But there was games where he just didn't get the ball a lot. This year, you can just see like the targets are there week in, week out. Like we're you know, and when we talked about this in the preseason as well, it's like that's you know, Stein will get him will get him involved in the game every game, no matter what the flow is. And he had eight more catches in this game, most of them in the first half, 126 yards, the two first half touchdowns. Um, and he just continues to have a dominant season. Yeah, yeah. Franklin's playing really, really well, but we're also seeing the other guys step up, whether it's Holden, whether it's Johnson, Gary Bryant. Um we're blocking better on the perimeter. Uh, the running back room super deep. I think the tight ends are playing good football, all like one through four at tight end, right? Because um, even in the in later parts of the game when Kenyon Sadiq is getting his reps, uh, I, I don't see a ton of drop off. And in fact, from an athletic standpoint, I think he's a bit of an upgrade over the guys that are playing over him. Um, just the depth of talent and the depth of execution on this team is really impressive. On the offensive line, you have guys like Poncho rotating in, guys like Yuli rotating in occasionally, uh, even even before garbage time. Uh, and the offensive line is getting better week after week, and the combo blocks are getting cleaner. And, and like again, in this game, they were completely physically outmatched, and that was obvious watching us, right? Like that's that's what you can hope. That's what you hope for when you're playing an outmatched opponent is that your guys show up and they, and they just dominate them the way that you would expect. And that was true at all three levels on defense. That was true at all three levels on offense um, or at, at every skill position on offense, as well as on the offensive line. Uh, and I think that, that 
the improvement is not cannot only be explained away by playing Colorado, a team that you're more more talented than. I think it's general like improvement um, of execution week over week, um, and guys just getting better technically through good coaching. Yeah, I mean the run game again was a strength. You know, 240 yards on the ground, 6.3 per carry, and that that number was up higher before kind of the garbage time runs when when Colorado obviously knew we were just going to run her into the pile. But uh, you know, Bucky 10 carries, 89 yards. Um, Jordan James had 54 yards and a touchdown. Noah had 45 yards on eight carries and a touchdown before he went out. And then, you know, you saw a little bit of garbage time with Dial Dale Lamar, but also Ty Thompson had, had a nice little carry. Casey Rogers, the, the, the punt, the fake punt from the own 17, he rumbled for 18 and, um, you know, pretty dominant day on the ground. And that deserves a shout too, because you're, now in year two, we're seeing the same things that we saw show up last year on tape where the staff is committed to being good at special teams and we're also getting ourselves an edge on special teams. We're not just content to, to be more talented. Um, we're, we're still trying to get ourselves edges through scheme um, and, and being crafty uh, in, in special teams. Yeah, I mean, I thought that obviously kind of a gutsy call it was 13 zip at the time a little bit gutsy uh, doing that from your own 17 i think it was fourth and four fourth and six something like that um but also in a game that you probably feel like even if you fail you're not you're not going to lose that game um so it, it's it's a place where it's worth taking that risk right um and obviously they had practiced it and dan mentioned they had practiced it a ton during the week and it works it worked just as uh as designed and but yeah, it's like the two-point conversions they've been doing this year and everything else, right? It's something that teams now have to practice for. They have to put it on tape, but it's also like is it some somewhere that they can get an edge, you know, when when if or when they need it. Yeah. Going back to Bo a little. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I would just say that like last year we saw how those things were layered and sequenced with one another. Um, I don't I think it's intentional the the order in which these things are deployed, and I think uh they're absolutely gonna have counters off of that moving forward for the rest of the season. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to go back to Bo a little bit. It's been a pretty interesting couple of weeks, um, or a week and a half or so, because online I've heard a lot of people or seen a lot of people who've never used the term average depth of target in their life uh, and now ridiculing Oregon and Bo Nix for, you know, throwing a lot of short passes and, you know, check down Bo and, and kind of other derogatory remarks. What do you think about that? It's silly because, like, if you're expecting us to be Washington and just have a 500 ball offense where all we do is throw it deep, um, and we don't have an intermediate passing game, we don't have an RPO game off our run game. Like, that's the thing is like, what like what's the context? Is Bo is Bo just dropping back and deciding to check down on every snap? No, that's not what's happening at all. Like, we're they're tagging RPOs instead of having him run the ball we're trying to keep our quarterback in one piece. And so instead of having, having the read be for him to run to get that extra defender in the box or out of the box, we're just tagging RPOs, getting the balls to our skill players in space. And, and I think it's completely naive and quite frankly, like extremely ignorant um, to think that like, this is like some kind of indictment on Bo as a quarterback. I also think it's kind of interesting when uh, to somehow it's somehow it's a negative. If you, 
are throwing passes which are you know 80 90 you know 90 plus percent likelihood of being completed and and to get you at least five or six yards like how is that a negative in what universe is that a negative play maybe if it's third and 17 but that, we're not doing it on third and 17 we're doing our first and 10 or second and five or second and six it, it none of it makes sense to me because also like if you want a good example of why it's important to be able to do those things Look at Washington State almost blowing a lead against Oregon State because they weren't able to slow the ball, slow it down, run the ball, and control clock. That's an extension of the run game. That's something that you can count on um, late in games to run clock as a part of your run game, right? Like I'm, I feel very comfortable with the completion percentage of Bo throwing screens out to the sideline to Gary Bryant, Trayshawn Holden, Tez Johnson, and Troy Franklin. Um, as part of our run game so that we don't have to be one dimensional and go three and out in those situations. And just because you haven't been in that situation yet, doesn't mean that you won't get into that situation over the course of the season. I think it's extremely naive to think that it, you're going to be okay being one completely one dimensional, not actually all that efficient, uh, but just bombing the ball all game, every game. What happens when you don't have the most efficient outing and your quarterback doesn't have the best game of his career? Uh, or when you or when a defense sits back and and defends that and makes you mark down march down the field. Well, yeah, I mean, and and like the thing is, is that there's a lot of teams in this conference that just can't defend it, so they yep, can't force you can. to do something else. But ultimately, at some point this season, whether it's in conference play, um, whether it's in a college football playoff or a New Year Six game, the likelihood is is that you're going to play somebody that has good enough players to where you're going to have to play a little bit more honest um, or you're just going to, you're going to have to deal with the variance that comes with that style of play all the time. Yeah. I, um, I just don't, I, I don't understand the negative of, of, of complaining about an offense that can run the ball very efficiently and also with explosiveness. Well, again, the can, connotation. Can throw, can, yeah. The con- I, I mean, there's, yeah, go ahead. Connotation is, is that Bo can't throw the ball vertically. That's the connotation. Is that true though? Like, do we know that to no. be true? Absolutely not true. I mean, we has he's played fifty-one games. We know it's not true. We've seen so, it. We've seen enough of. So why would we? It. Why would we stop doing something that's been extremely effective and efficient for us and helped us gain numbers back in the run game? I don't know, man. That's what I'm saying. Doesn't make sense. All right, let, we've gone off on that tangent too long. Again, like Anything you can more always you want to talk about you, the offense. You you can you can ignore context and you can cherry pick stacks to support any argument you want to make, right? Like that's that's always been the case. That always will be the case. Um, and this is just a case of people who don't want to give Oregon credit to saying, well, their our passing game is just a bunch of Dinkin and Duncan, and, and quite frankly, that couldn't be further from the truth. And even if it is, if it works, who cares? Yeah. All right. Um, anything more on the offense? No, I, again, this was domination and it's, we expected to dominate. They did dominate. Um, I don't think we need to beat a dead horse on this one. Yeah. Obviously the other, the lone kind of negative there, Noah Winnington went down with a a leg injury late in the game. Looked pretty serious. It's going to be out at least a few weeks. Uh, I don't know. We'll see how long in total, but I think, Again, you never want to say there's anything positive about you know a guy as talented as Noah getting hurt, but it is a position that Oregon is is pretty deep at. Do you, do you see 
do you see it more being it's kind of been a three back rotation with with Bucky, Noah, and Jordan James. Do you see it kind of going down to a two back rotation, or do you think one of the freshmen gets in there and, and gets more carries than they have been, getting more than garbage time play? Um, they're they're going to get more reps in practice this week, and I think they're that's going to create an opportunity for them to earn that role. But I think you're going to see the, the rotation just pared down to two backs and in, in meaningful time. Yeah, I, I can see. May I mean, I certainly don't think it'll be like a. It's been, I'd say, probably like a forty thirty thirty split of carries if you look at it over the first four games, and I certainly wouldn't say that would continue. It might be more of like a you know, 45, 45, 10 or 45, 40, 10 or, you know, some 45, 40, 15 or something like that. I think maybe there's a freshman who could get in there and get, you know, more than garbage time, but we'll see. Maybe not. Yeah. I, they've been rolling with those three for a reason. I think that those are the three that they feel the most comfortable can play the entire offense, like whether it's pass pro, catching the ball out of the backfield, they can be counted on. Um, and because of that, I think that that's what, I don't see them like adding somebody as a peer to James and, and Bucky. Uh, although like there, there could be a situation where necessity requires you to, to start featuring one of the other freshman backs a little bit more. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's good that they've been playing all three so far and keeping their, their load light. Right. Cause okay. Now you Bucky uh, Jordan, you guys got to take on a little bit more of the load right now. Well, they're, they're fresher. Um, and less beat up than they would be otherwise if they were, you know, the the, the bell cow running back. Yeah, 100%. All right. Any final thoughts on this game? Obviously, looking ahead, uh, Oregon will have uh, go on the road at Stanford for, you know, who knows for the last time and how long. Um, next week, I go down to the farm to play a pretty bad Stanford Cardinal football team, and then the week off, and then, of course, uh, head up to Husky Stadium to take on Washington. But, you know, looking ahead, what do you think about Stanford next week? We'll talk about it obviously in depth, but you know, any more thoughts on this game? And you know, you don't think there's any risk of Oregon kind of, I've heard some people say this, Oh, Oregon struggles down there. They're going to come off a big win. They're going to have a letdown game. I'm not buying it. I mean, anything's possible, right? Like we saw like letdown, look ahead games, like that can always happen. Um, but Oregon out as a program is at a place right now where I think that they're just so much more talented than teams like Stanford that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of, I just, I don't know. This team feels like they're, I don't think you, there's going to be a motivation problem. I don't think, no. uh, you know, could it, could it be sloppy play? You know, sure. Some of that, I just, I don't think they're going to go in there not ready to play though. Well, I mean, look at the, some of the games that they lost last year. Um, the like the, the the veteran leadership on this team, the quantity of like really strong leaders on this team. I just don't see like Oregon's gonna have a game this year where they don't execute well, but I don't think it's gonna be a matter of lack of lack of execution because of lack of effort or focus. I think it's just gonna be one of those things where sometimes you just don't have your best day, right? And you're gonna have to find out a way to win. And maybe that happens against Stanford. I would prefer that happen against Stanford than someone who's good enough to beat us. Um That's true. But I I think that I don't think this was really all that much of an emotional high for this team, if I'm honest. I agree. I don't. Th- I think it. I think they, they took care of. Business. I think they liked the they attention of of being. Sorry, go ahead. They went out and beat the hell out of a team that they're just way better than. Like that's not like that shouldn't be emotionally draining. Like that shouldn't cause them to not show up the right way this week. 
that would be extremely disappointing if that's the case. I would agree. Um, on another note, what were you gonna say? I don't, it doesn't matter. Uh, what the hell did Oregon do to George Carl? I don't even know who George Carl is. From you don't know who George Carl is? Oh, <laughs> he's a former bat, former NBA coach, coached the Seattle SuperSonics and the Colorado, uh, Colorado, uh, Denver. Where the hell the Denver team is? Nuggets. But uh, he's he's been all over. I think he's just a big Dion, like Denver kind of proponent right now. But like he's just been like troll, like not trolling, but he's just been going at Duck fans on Twitter for the last like couple of days. Oh really? So, yeah, it's been pretty funny. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what like did some Oregon Duck like hurt him or something in the past? Did they? Sounds like I, it. I don't. I don't know. It's pretty. It's pretty comical. I. It's like, geez, dude. Like, move on already. Relax. It's okay. Uh, anyway, moving on. Let's take another quick break, and then we will come back and talk about the other games this week. All right, and we're back, UB. Um, I got some bad news. Yeah, I know. I already know. It was bad. It was bad. But it was bad for all of us. So well, Yeah, because freaking Arizona and, like, I, I trolled myself a little bit, and that's fine. Like, I knew I was with the Cal pick. Um, but we, we can just get into it. I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm let's get into it. So, let's, let's start with the Colorado-Oregon game. We all had Oregon, so all three of us got the win on that one. Oregon covered the 21-point line. Easy. Let's go to UCLA and Utah. And, um, you know, you said on our preview episode that the moment would not be too big for Dante Moore. What do yeah. you think? It, it might have been a little large. Um, yeah, he threw a pick six on the opening play and uh, never UCLA never recovered. I really do have a hard time just laying that at his feet, though, entirely, because they, they just didn't play well as an offense. Like, the offensive line was really bad. They didn't run the ball at all. Like, they, they, they got pretty much shut down. Like, Utah just kind of sat on them. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into talking about it when we get to our power rankings. I, Utah I, is the team I don't know what to make. <laughs> I don't know what to make. Like, I'm thoroughly impressed by what they've done through four games, but also do not feel like they can win this conference. So, I don't know. Does that not make sense? Does it make sense? I don't know. I mean, I, I agree with you. I When I look at them, it's tough to evaluate when they don't have Keithy and when they don't have Rising. Um, but I think this is actually, like, a pretty good defense like even yes. relative to some of the other defenses that they've had. Uh, but the issue that I have with them is I just don't think they have very many explosive, like their playmakers aren't as good as they've been in the past. Like at running back, like I, I had pretty high expectations for Jaquin Jackson coming in the season. I don't think he's been as good as like someone like Zach Moss was um, a receiver. They're just very underwhelming. I don't, I don't know. I, uh, I just think that they like unlike a lot of teams in this conference, they have a they have a they have a weapons problem on offense. A weapons problem. I like that. I like that. Well, it was a very defensive oriented game. Uh, UCLA only had two hundred forty three yards. Utah only had two hundred nineteen. Uh, so UCLA also has a pretty good defense, which I've noticed through the first couple of games this year. Uh, and this was was it was a defensive slugfest, I guess, but also I don't know, not not like in the traditional sense where you know you kind of. Like think of an old LSU versus Alabama game from ten years ago. It didn't. It didn't. Or like even you know Ohio State Notre Dame from this week. This game just felt different than that, even though the score was similar. 
yeah, it was pretty ugly. Like, this is not a game that I think either team is going to be, like, happy. Even, like, Utah won, right? They figured it out. I don't know. You never know. Kyle Whitting- Whittingham is kind of a sick freak. Like, maybe he does enjoy games like this, like, turning it into an ugly rock fight. But um, I just – this was hideous. This was not fun football to watch. I felt like I was watching Iowa-Minnesota. Yeah, and one of the most bizarre stat lines. So obviously they switched up, uh, Utah switched up and went to the quarterback late last week and then carried him over to this game, Nate Johnson, who was more of the kind of dual threat running quarterback, if you will, and you know didn't do a whole lot through the air, 117 yards and a touchdown. He did run the ball 14 times, but in those 14 carries managed only two yards. I sure a couple of those are probably sacks, but certainly not 14. So he, he did not have nearly the effectiveness running the ball as as he did a week ago. Yeah, I, it's going to be harder and harder because more as more and more film gets put out there, like they just can't throw the ball, like they, especially outside the numbers. Like Yasmin's a solid tight end, but until they get Keithy back, no one's like afraid of their tight ends. It's not like they have Dalton Kincaid out there, um, and Vele and Money Parks and Mikey Matthews and Micah Pittman. Like they're they're not bad players. I'm not I'm not trying to be a hater, but it's just not a great. It's not an elite group by any stretch of the imagination. It's not a group that strikes fear in anybody that anybody is like specifically planning for. And the fact of the matter is that UCLA has a pretty poor secondary and they didn't get anything on them. No, no, very, little, very, very little. And like, hey, I, I at least you took out, you tuck and say they were balanced. They had 100, 117 passing yards, and 114 rushing yards. And I would, I would <laughs> expect that that changes when, when rising comes back, right? Like I think that they'll be able to throw the ball more effectively. I, I still don't think that they're going to be just like, loaded for bear with all these elite playmakers but i think that they'll be more scary than they've been yeah and if they're if their defense can continue to carry them then you know maybe they'll outperform i mean they've already outperformed my expectations so far but maybe they'll be able to continue to do so but we'll see um all six all six home teams in the pac-12 this week covered the line so they were one of those and we all picked ucla so we all got that one wrong yeah it's uh not my proudest picks this week across the board. <laughs> Your or mine either, but uh going to one of those other home teams, the Washington State Cougars, the team I vastly underestimated more than anyone this offseason. Uh one beat Oregon State in the Pac two, Pac two bowl, uh, 38-35 in a game that really wasn't that close. Oregon State scored 21 in the fourth quarter to to make it look respectable and actually kind of almost made a game out of it, but this was a pretty dominant performance by Washington State in the, in the passing game on Oregon State, which I think kind of matches up with some of the things you've been saying about Oregon State's defensive backs. Yeah, it's just not a group. Like, last year, if, if, if this was like an elite group, you would have expected them to um, rotate in those guys with, with the departing play, players. Um, Alex Austin and Rajon Wright got a disproportionate number of snaps last year at corner. It didn't rotate at all, and then they didn't get anybody in the transfer portal. And so, to me, that was a pretty big, like, flashing red light saying, hey, this team probably isn't going to be very good at corner. And that turned out to be true. And, I, and Washington State, on the on the contrary, went out and picked up tons of good explosive receiver options in the portal, um, hired a really good young offensive coordinator who's, like, 27 years old um, and, and, and improved on offense in, in a major way. So – it's one of those things where I think Jonathan Smith sat on his hands and didn't give himself the best opportunity to be successful in in the secondary. And uh, Washington state on the other hand was very proactive about improving on offense around Cam Ward. 
Yeah, Cam Ward, 404 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, um, continues to look like a completely different player than he was a year ago. And I think the things that you mentioned, the new OC, the better talent at receiver are are a big part of why he looks like a different player this year. Yeah, and if you look and at the, te- this year. the Texas State offense under their old offensive coordinator, it is uh, it's not pretty right now up there. They've been really struggling to put any points on the board, and it's kind of the same thing that we saw last year where it's just all lateral. And um, like I think that's what a lot of people are trying to insinuate Oregon's offense is. Uh, no. when that is not at all what they're putting on tape. But it's again, if you read box scores and you don't watch film, then um, you can be misled. And I watched I watched quite a bit of this game, kind of in the middle middle to, or I guess the kind of middle middle first through the halftime I watched of this one. Uh, Washington State just looked like the better football team to me, um, and they were, and I think they are. I don't think it was a fluke. Yeah, and and DJ still struggles whenever you put people around him. Like he's just not. It doesn't help that they don't have really outside receivers. Their two best receivers are both under five nine, um, so they they don't have a real like vertical passing threat outside the numbers. But it also doesn't help that DJ I don't think handles pressure particularly well. I think he still struggles to process when there's bodies around his feet or in his face, and um, he puts the ball in harm's way with that. And we saw that. Bear its ugly head against San Diego State, and then once again this week against Washington State. And Washington State's got a pretty good group of edge players, so um, Washington State's equipped to do some damage. I just think that good, good balanced offenses will be able to beat them in a lot of different ways. Yeah, that's a team we will see in Autzen the week after the Husky game. So that's I am very thankful we're not playing them in Pullman. Yes, thank God. Yes. I don't like playing them up there, especially not when they're good, and I feel like they're actually pretty good this year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Oregon State did get their running game going again. Fenwick and Martinez combined for about 182 yards and three touchdowns. Um, so that that continues to be their bread and butter, but they're going to have to do more defensively, I think. Okay, yeah. we both pick, we all three of us picked Washington State, so we got that one. Uh, let's move on. Stanford and Arizona. Uh, I didn't watch this, this game, but when I saw the score, I thought I had a stroke. <laughs> well, we all picked Arizona to cover the or to cover the twelve points they were dropping on the road, and it seemed like a safe bet. But I don't know, Arizona continues. I don't know what to think of Arizona anymore. I, it's like Jekyll and Hyde team. Uh, Deloro, you know, one hundred fifty-seven yards and a touchdown. He did go out injured, and Fafita came in was four for four, forty-seven yards. Um. But they barely they had to come back late in the game to beat Stanford 21-20. Yeah, I didn't this, watch this game, so I don't have a ton to add, but this I I'm assuming it's a look ahead situation with Washington coming into town next week, but um they're not a good enough football team to just show up and win. Right? Like and if they're not executing well and they're having a bad day, but if they're also lacking focus, like they're very vulnerable, and, and these are like if they want to be a bowl eligible football team, these are the kind of games like these are the games that like you are counting as wins to get to bowl eligibility. And if you lose one of them, it puts you in a really really tough spot. Yeah, I mean, thankfully for them, they didn't. But yeah, this was a team I was actually thinking might show something in the passing game against Washington to see, kind of get a glimpse of like is Washington's pass defense good or has it been a product more of their you know the opponents they've played so far which which have been 
vertically challenged, if you will. Um, and I thought Arizona might give us a real test of that next week, but now I'm not so sure anymore. Well, Cal got vertical on Washington somehow. Well, let's talk about that game next. So Arizona did not cover. We all got that one wrong. Let's go to Cal and Washington. This game was, I did watch all of this game. I, I watched, I started watching it, uh, turned it off and then came back later and watched, well, all of the meaningful snaps. I didn't watch the, all the garbage time, but um, Washington was up 14-0 before their offense ever took the field. They had a punt return touchdown and an interception return touchdown in the first, in Cal's first two possessions. Uh, so it was a, it was, it was a very, I don't know what to make of this game. Cal is a terrible football team. I do know that Washington obviously is a very good football team, particularly in the passing game. And they were up what, 40, 44 to six at halftime or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, again, Washington is a flat track bully. Like they can just absolutely bulldoze teams that are they're better than and they're more talented than and that can't stop them or at least not even stop them because i don't know that anybody's good enough to stop them entirely this year um but at least be competitive and challenge them in the vertical passing game on defense and cal wasn't capable of doing that and cal's quarterbacks i don't think we're particularly good at taking care of the ball in this game um and so with those things in mind like washington just ran away with it but the concern for me and again, like I, I, I try not to get too caught up in in, um, in counting stats after one game because it's a small sample size. It's a team that you're boat racing. Does it really matter? But my question is, is is Washington like why is Washington giving up 500 yards of offense to a team like Cal? Why are they scoring 32? Like if because everything I've been told by Washington fans all offseason is that their defense is better than ours. Why are they not shutting down a Cal offense that has one quarterback who can't really throw the ball, who all of a sudden looked like he could throw the ball against Washington, averaging 12 yards uh, per attempt? I, I don't know. It's uh, I'm, I'm very interested to find out, and I don't know if we're going to find out this week, uh, but I'm interested to find out how good this Washington defense really is. Yeah. I mean, we may have to wait till uh, till Oregon travels up there to find out because I don't I don't know if Arizona is going to show us anything either. And I, I know Washington can do one thing extremely well, and that's pass the ball. I don't know anything else about them. I, I don't know if they can run the ball. I don't know if they can defend the run. I don't know if they can defend the pass. I really don't know. I don't think that we have any 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 sample of data from this season that, or, or not data, even film from this season that tells us the answer to those three questions. No, I mean, they haven't played a team with a winning record yet, right? They haven't played a team who's beaten a power five team yet. Yeah. That's not, that's not a good, again, and, and, and that's not, and to say all that, these, yeah. it's not to say Washington isn't a good football team. Cause I think that much is they clear, are, right? they, they are, are a good, good football, football team, team. And, and they're doing what good football teams do against bad competition. But the question is, is, how sustainable is this style of play when you start to play teams that have a pulse? I'm not saying that Oregon or USC is going to shut down Washington defensively because no. I don't Certainly think any, again, <laughs> I, I don't think anyone's doing that to Washington. I think that they have too many good weapons at receiver. I think that Penix is playing at too good, too high of a level. And I think that DeBoer and Grubb have a really good plan offensively, but I still think that teams can slow them down and can find a couple stops and, if situationally Washington uh, has a lead, are they going to be able to maintain the lead 
playing this way? Or are they going to put themselves in situations where they decide to run the ball, can't run the ball, and they go three and out quickly and allow teams opportunities to get good teams to get back in the game with them if they jump out to an early lead? Um, or situationally, maybe late in a close game, they're unable to run a four-minute offense and actually drain clock and force a team to call timeouts. And because of that, they lose. You know what I mean? Like being being fully dimensional is my question for them offensively. And then defensively, I, I want to see – I don't know if they can stop the run or the pass yet based on who they played. They haven't played anyone offensively who has any talent. No, the, the teams they've played on offense are all uh, bottom of the uh... – I think the best offense they've played is like number 59 or something in the country. Like, but all, yeah, again, all four of them have been better running. Like all four of them have been like not teams who can pass. And I think Washington is more vulnerable against the pass. Yeah. And, and also the fact that the teams they've played are all kind of more one dimensional run wise has allowed Washington to, to probably dedicate more bodies to the run. Yeah. But so I, it's I, like, I don't know. Are they good? I don't know. I haven't gotten that deep into my Washington film study yet. I'll do that during the bye week. Um, and I have, I have to admit that outside of this Cal game, this is the first game I've watched live, like in totality. Um, Cause I didn't, I didn't catch a hundred percent of the Boise state game. And I certainly didn't watch them on Peacock against a absolutely horrible and broken Michigan state program. Uh, I watched uh, I watched Tulsa and Boise and this one and, you know, that that's led me to, to my conclusions is they're an ex, they're an elite offense through the air, but I, I just don't, I, I, and it's not just cause it's Washington. I just, I really don't know. I really don't know how to judge them on the other facets yet. I, I don't know how you would be able to, and there's things about Oregon we don't know yet. Right. So yeah, I'm not saying that this is exclusive to Washington. I just think that there's a lot of people that are kind of a little bit out over their skis right now. Uh, and like looking ahead to that game, um, I think that the things that Oregon is proving to be more proficient at defensively this year are going to cause this to be a more friendly matchup than it was a year ago. Yeah, and I think, look, even even if it's a situation where you go up there and both offenses are humming, like maybe it comes down to who can get who can get two stops in a game, right? Who can, whether that be by turnover or downs or three and out or whatever, or not three and out, but punts, that may be the difference in the game. And I don't know. I don't know if, if you know, Oregon can get more stops than Washington or vice versa. Uh, I think I certainly feel like Oregon has done more on the defensive side of the ball against the competition they face than I than I feel about Washington on the defensive side of the ball against the competition they face. But it's not like there's a there's a really solid body of evidence either way. No, there's not. All right, I, uh, we go ahead. Go ahead. I think this is like a – is that the last game? Uh, no, we got one more Pac-12 game, and then we got the, the national games. But yeah. um, we had – Justin and I both had Washington. You had Cal, so you didn't get that one, my friend. No. You were close. Close. Cal almost got the backdoor cover. No, I, I again, for those who didn't listen to our preview, I chose Cal because of all the Washington fans that are telling me that Cal's a good football team. So it's not a guarantee that Washington's going to cover. So I took their word for it, and they lied to me. Yeah, they did. Okay, the last Pac-12 game, USC Arizona State. Um, but this was like a one possession game in the fourth quarter. QB. This is an Arizona State game that got shut out at home by Fresno State, and they took USC to the fourth quarter. To be fair, Kenny took Kenny Dillingham took back uh, play calling this week. From he uh, also from emptied Baltimore. the playbook. Yeah, he 
they wanted this but, one, but it showed that like with him calling plays, they they can still put like they're still dangerous. Yeah, so, and they did put up 350 yards of offense. Um, I don't know, USC's defense, it's just, I don't know, man. I don't like it. I don't like their defense. Yeah, I uh, I hope that they keep Alex Grinch for a very very long time. Especially going into the Big Ten. I think it's going to go really well for them running that defense in the Big Ten. Yeah, needless to say, USC did not cover the 34.5-point spread, uh, which we all selected, because why wouldn't we have selected that based on last week's showings? And uh, we all took the L on that one. Did you want to uh, talk about something else before we jumped over to national games? No, we we just get to it when we do our power rankings. Okay, uh, national games. Let's go there real quick. We'll start with Ole Miss, Alabama. Um, Kind of looked like a game in the first half. Ole Miss led early, and then Alabama's defense just kind of shut them down, and, and their offense got enough going in this one to, to win 24-10. to 10. I don't think Ole Miss was the number 15 team in the country. Um, I I don't think Alabama's I, – I certainly don't think Alabama's a, a good enough offense to, to make a playoff run this year. Their defense remains very, very good. Their offense remains limited by their – Several things. I think they're they're not as dynamic as receiver as we're used to them being, and obviously their quarterback play. I do think Milrow is the best option they have, but and they're going to win a lot of games because they have a lot of talent and their defense is really good. But it's definitely probably the worst Alabama team we've seen in a long time. Yeah, it's tough to see because they've had like such a good run of quarterbacks, right? Like they had even Jalen Hurts who got benched by for Tua, like he's a starting NFL quarterback. Mac Jones is a starting NFL quarterback. Tua Tagovailoa is a starting NFL quarterback. Bryce Young is a starting NFL quarterback. And now they're really playing like the Bama Chris Harper at quarterback. Um, and it's, it's like limiting them offensively. And it kind of goes to prove like you could have fantastic talent everywhere, but if your quarterback stinks, it doesn't really matter. That is a fact. Anything more on that one? No, I don't even remember who did I pick in that game. You picked out. We all picked Alabama. So we all we all covered. Good for us. Yeah, good for us. <laughs> um. Okay, let's move on then to Iowa and Penn State. Oh my God, uh, thirty-one zip. Penn State obviously covered the uh, the fifteen. I I picked Iowa, which was really dumb. You and you and Justin picked Penn State, so you'll take that one. But uh, I did not watch this, and I'm, I probably am very thankful I did not watch this. So the 25 points per game that Iowa needs to average for uh, Brian Ferentz to keep his job, like that was, this was not a good uh, performance for him in order to, to maintain pace. Now they're yeah. going to have to make up 25 points somewhere else in, during the year. Yeah, I think they're. I think they need to. I think I I heard on another podcast today that. I think they need to average like 26.7 now for the rest of the season. And now they're in conference play, so they can't, you know, they can't load up on FCS teams or, or you know, or bad group of five teams. So I don't know. It, it, it's going to be really hard. I think Brian Ferentz needs to go to his defensive coordinator and beg and plead for any kind of defensive touchdowns, which Iowa has a penchant for getting. It has because to be those offensive count. points. Those count. That... No, it doesn't. It counts. It's total points. Wait, really? Yeah, this has been confirmed. The contract says total points. That's quite so the loophole. He, he needs his defense and special teams to give him all the points he can get because I don't think he's going to get it. They no, got absolutely. 76 yards against Penn State. 76 yards in the entire That's good, game. right? No. 
oh it's not it's not good yeah they're <laughs> they're uh i was that's one drive to, that's one just, touchdown drive <laughs> they couldn't even manage they just need to like broadcast iowa games in black and white and just yes. like it's not it's it's like uh it's like when you buy something because it's vintage it's not because it's like the best product available on the market right now but it just reminds you of the good old days that's iowa's offense not good but <laughs> i don't know, I don't know you, you probably ran day. those like if you're if you're like in your in your 40s or 50s and you play ball back in the day like you probably are very familiar with the concepts that that I was running uh, on offense right now because the, it's the same stuff that you were running. I feel like that's aimed at me, QB. All right, I mean, you you did play in a wing T offense, did you not? <laughs> no, I, uh, well, no, we played in the, uh, the just the standard T offense, right? We had we had a fullback and two halfbacks. Yeah. Well, that's way better. Yeah, it was great times back in the day for sure. Um, yeah, so they did not cover. Uh, Penn State did. You, you and uh, Kim Justin got that one right. Florida State, Clemson. This one was a push. We had two pushes, uh, two pushes in this week. For or no, not this one. Sorry. Uh, this one, two and four. a half points. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was thinking of a different game. Michigan, Rutgers, and Notre Dame, Ohio State were both pushes. Florida State was a two and a half point favorite. Obviously covered. You and Justin got that one as well. I picked Clemson. Was looking good for me until Clemson Clemson did at the end of the game and missed the field goal. I thought Clemson was the better team for the good portion of this game, but Florida State came up big when it mattered and they won. Yeah, I think I again because of when Oregon's game was, I didn't get to catch a ton of this, but I from the highlights I've seen, Clemson actually really dominated the ball in this game. Um, which is not what I would have expected coming into it. Now, Florida State was down their starting left tackle, which I think is, is a part of it, but they, they're not super efficient offensively right now. It's almost like they they have they know they've got these two small forwards at receiver, um, and they're comfortable just throwing them lobs all day instead of actually playing offense, uh, which is not what I would expect from a uh, a Norvell coached offense. But it's I guess it's working for them at this point. But they're going to have to figure it out and. Uh, I think uh, our friend Bud Elliott over on the Cover 3 podcast does a good job of talking about it. He uses the, the, the term just being okay with taking a profit. And um, I think Jordan Travis is struggling with that right now. He's going for the home run all, run all the time. And it is working to an extent, but is it maximizing what that offense can be? Um, or is it putting a ceiling on what it can be? Yeah, and I think, you know, again, not to bring it back to Oregon a little too much, but I think that's – one of the things about Bo Nix that, you know, kind of what you were talking about earlier, that is so great, right? Like he just, he's willing, it's, he's willing to say like, I'm going to take the six yard gain. I'm going to take the nine yard gain because it's, it's a gimme. It's free. It's wide open. It's right there. It's a, it's a handoff. And, and that's the difference when you see, you know, quarterback who's, you know, reached the point of his career where Bo is, and maybe a guy like Jordan Travis was, has a little bit more to, to learn still. I mean, he's been in college almost as long it's, but it is a maturity thing, right? Like, in in offensive coordinators get bored with taking a profit all the time and will force things, and quarterbacks do it all. Like, if you're if you're an Arizona fan, you see Jaden Delora do it all the time. Um, but I think that what's going to separate the good teams from the elite teams this year are the quarterbacks who play within themselves and don't try to force things at all times. Yeah. 
because turnovers and and going three and out when you could have been ahead of the chains, like that's not a sustainable way to win. I don't think this year with how much parity there is across the sport. Absolutely. All right, let's move on. Ohio State, Notre Dame. This was uh, a heck of a battle, a very low-scoring game. 17-14 Ohio State wins. The, the line was uh, was three, so this one is a push. We all had Notre Dame in this one, and it looked uh, like if they would have put 11 guys on the field, we, we might have won, and they might have won. Can you that, – that's like – that's a tough Two one. Two plays in a row. I, As I, a I'm, fan, that's got to be – I don't. I don't root. I didn't have a dog in this fight. Um, I guess I would have preferred Notre Dame to win, uh, just because for betting purposes. But I, I'm not a big Notre Dame guy, um, so I, I never mind watching Notre Dame lose. Yeah, I thought their defense played a really good game. I I was really impressed by Notre Dame's defense, and I you know I thought Hartman did did enough here and there. Hartman was throwing some dimes late in that game. Yeah. I just, I just don't know how I, that whole last drive. I just like Notre Dame was bringing pressure and it was working constantly. And then they get to that like third and forever, you know. And all of a sudden they ran, they rushed three. And I actually put this on on Twitter as the as the play was unfolding. I'm like, you, ru- you know, rushing three is is losing football. And and they rushed three. They sat back eight, you know, and and. uh McCord was able to throw that ball down there to the one yard line, get the first down, set up the last couple plays there. And, and then I don't know how you call a timeout or somebody called a timeout. I don't know how you come out of a timeout with 10 players and then play two plays with 10 players. I just, I'm blown away by the lack of, I mean, you got 17,000 quality control dudes on the sideline. You got, I, I, and apparently the, the, even the players on the field were like, yelling and screaming to, to send another guy on. I just, wow, what a way to lose. Yeah, that's like that's tough to stomach. You played a, a good enough football team, uh, or sorry, a good enough football game to give yourself a chance against a good football team in Ohio State. And um, they obviously haven't finished figured out their quarterback situation 100% of the way yet. Um, and, and they're still working out some kinks. I mean, it's really tough when you have two starting NFL tackles, a starting NFL quarterback, um, I'll leave your program offensively. Um, but you had him on the ropes at home, and you you let him off. You let him off the hook. Yeah, yeah. You let him off the hook in the worst way, you know. Like, okay, if you got your eleven like out moves. there, and if they got your eleven out there and they beat you, okay, it's one thing. But when the, I mean, it was like it's crazy you watching beat- the replay, and you're like, why is there nobody there? Why is nobody lined up there? Well, now you know because there was actually a guy that wasn't there, and they still only. <laughs> I mean, they still almost barely made it, which I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah, Notre Dame was competing well at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Um, yeah, they really that would make me sick if I was a Notre Dame fan. I will say they need to wear green more often. Those look sharp. That was just a. I was, I was talking to my dad about that last night. That was just a pleasing uniform matchup. Like it was like it a really Christmas was. matchup. The green and the, the red, the gold and the helmets and, and the gold. silver helmets. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm not usually the big traditional uniforms guy, but that was a very pleasing matchup. Well, they don't wear green very often. They usually wear that navy, and I think the green looks way better. Yeah, I agree. Okay, last one. Rutgers, our Rutgers Scarlet Knights, went on the road to the big house and uh, 
the line was 24 and they kept it at 24 QB. So that's kind of a little bit of a victory for Rutgers, right? They they only they didn't the line was right on. We all picked Michigan. I, I'm just None wondering if Michigan's gonna like start killing people. If the, if they're gonna start killing people. I don't know. They seem to be content to play like very slow game. Like the play count in this game was 61 to 44. Michigan ran seven drives the entire game. Like they just seem to content to play. Really slow games, very low possession, low play count games. I mean, there was it's only almost like they're just trying to grind plays. and stay healthy. Yeah, which I guess I mean that fits right in with Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. That's it. So it doesn't surprise me, I guess. Yeah, I just I, I think is that the really the best thing to be doing? I don't know. I'm glad I'm not of a fan of a team that does that though. Like I don't know how I could be a fan of of a team like Michigan or imagine being an Iowa fan. I, well, I was just about to say, obviously Iowa and Michigan are very different animals, but at least Michigan wins. But I couldn't even imagine. Like I, I have a lot of respect for these Iowa fans who are frenzied and crazy and support their team like nobody's business. Like you were gonna say, year after respect. year after year. What's that? Say, I have a lot of respect for myself. <laughs> well, so because of I that, do I have more respect for, for myself. Like, I mean, honestly, like, it was kind of hard to be a fan during some of the Mario games, right? Like, it was like we well, were so Jeff used Lockie to was like a quarterback for us. I was rooting, <laughs> I was rooting hard, but it was not all that effective. Yeah, I mean, it was just hard after like so you know the blur and chip and all that stuff, and then you're like we're sitting here playing these like twenty-one to seventeen grind out games under Mario, and you know, yeah, we we won a, we won a lot more than we lost, but. It wasn't as pleasing. No, oh, it, it was funny. I was having a conversation with my girlfriend today. She was like, "Wasn't it wasn't it boring to just blow a team out?" And I'm like, "Like this isn't even this isn't even fun." And I'm like, "I thoroughly enjoyed embarrassing them on national television yesterday. Like, I hope every game like that is like that for the rest of the season. I hope we blow everybody out." Yeah, it's a lot more fun than. Uh, uh... Anything that's close, because I just get, I'm just, no, that's no good. I like, can't. Uh, like, how many years off my life am I realistically losing from games like Texas Tech and Washington State? Yeah. It's got to, yeah. it, it's got to be at least a year through my fandom that I've lost. And at least, yeah. I probably lost more than that, even. So all right, like, QB, that's all the games we have to cover this week. All right, you ready to do some power ratings? Let's do some power ratings, and then we'll get out of here. Sounds good. Okay. Um, We don't need to do, like, super long explanations for the bottom teams because they just stink, and they don't really deserve us to talk about them a lot. But we have completely different order this time, but yes. Okay, you go first. Yeah, I've decided – we'll just talk about all three of them in one group. I'll do my three, and then you do your three. I've decided that my bottom three are going to rotate pretty heavily week to week, just depending on – Kind of that week. And this week, California takes my bottom spot because they were just, they just handed the ball to Washington like seven times and were uncompetitive. And Stanford comes in at number 11 because they actually almost won. Uh, and then Arizona State actually comes in at number 10 because I thought they, they showed up, they played with heart, they fought to the end against USC, pulled out all the stops. And, and that's a team that easily could have quit after last week's. Uh, embarrassment and they didn't so they're going to get number 10 in my spot this week 
I, just because you showed up and a team didn't take care of you, like, I don't know. I guess it's power rankings were supposed to do that. I still think Stanford's the worst team in the conference, though, so I kept them at 12. Um, I can I can hear an argument for swapping um, for for swapping ASU and Cal, uh, but ultimately I think that Cal is still better on defense than ASU. Is I think that Cal, when healthy, has more talent than ASU, and so that's why I have Cal at ten and use uh, ASU at eleven. Fair enough. At nine, I've got Arizona. Uh, not uh, Jekyll and Hyde team. They have not been super impressive. I would have thought their passing game would have been much more explosive this year than it has been, and Delora's been way too up and down, so I've got them at nine. Yeah, same. I I, I don't trust Delora. Like, I never am going to trust Delora. You, you're playing with fire by having him be your starting quarterback. Absolutely. Number eight, I've got Colorado. I think they're, this is – Kind of, there's a there's a sizable gap I think between eight and and seven, and this is kind of where I think they're probably going to live for for quite a while right now. Yeah, I, I think this, this eight, is ultimately where they, where they finish up. I mean, we'll see how the head to heads go at the Arizona schools, um, and I believe they they play Cal. I could be wrong about that, um, but we'll check. see. We'll we'll let those head to heads kind of play this out over the course of the year. But as it stands today. I think this is a, a safe place to place them um, and win healthy with Travis Hunter. I think that they would probably be a slight favorite against the other schools we talked about on a neutral field. They do not play Cal. They do play both Arizona schools and Stanford. So they'll, they'll beat Stanford. Stanford sinks. Yeah, Stanford's bad. All right, and number seven, I've got the Beavers. Yep, same. I uh, I really can't make the case for putting them ahead of anybody above them, I, especially. I mean, the only other team above them that's lost is uh, is uh, UCLA, and I, obviously, I think they're I just think they're a better football team than Oregon State. But we're gonna, I think they play down the road, so we'll find that out. Yeah, um, Oregon State is solid against the run. They're good running the ball. They can't throw the ball, and I don't think that they're good against the pass, and so. That's a tough place to be when the best teams in this conference all have really good quarterbacks. Um, so I I, uh, I agree with this take, and I think I think this is probably where Oregon State settles in over the course of the year. We'll see what. Again, I'm I'm very outcome based with my uh, power ranking. So if they step up and beat some teams that I don't expect that they will, then I'll absolutely reward them for that and move them up. Yeah, and they do play uh, UCLA Friday night at home. So it's an or not UCLA, sorry Utah Friday night at home. So that's an opportunity for them to move up uh, if they are able to, to come back off the loss and, and pull that one out. That's an so interesting we'll matchup. Rising. It is. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that some more on Thursday morning when we release our preview episode. But uh, we'll see if Cam Rising plays because I think that could be a big factor in that game. I think I would have bet the under. I don't even know what the number is, and I think the under sounds good. <laughs> the under might sound good. Uh, uh, at six, I've got the Bruins. Yeah, uh, I think I do too. We do. Yep, I do. Yeah, it was a pretty, pretty underwhelming performance on the road at Rice Eccles Stadium, which is a tough place to play. But I like their. I think their defense is sneaky, pretty decent this year, and I do think their offense is going to continue to get better, and Dante Moore is going to continue to progress. Yeah, I think the variance of their quarterback play is probably going to be the widest of any team in the conference, well, other than maybe Arizona State. Um, because they're starting Arizona. Freshmen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
I still think that the variance is going to be even wider because Dante is a true freshman. Every time he plays a game, he's seeing something new for the first time, right? He's like a newborn infant. Whereas like Delora is um, erratic to say the least, but he's at least has a lot of experience under his belt. Um, but yeah, sure. I, I think that I would, I would definitely certainly favor UCLA over Oregon state on a neutral. Agreed. I've got Washington State at five. I think the Cougars, you know, this might be too low for them, and I think you would probably agree with that. But, uh, you know, right now I think they've got two really good wins, uh, Oregon State and Wisconsin at home, and they've taken care of business in their other games. And I think they're a dangerous team that is probably going to knock off at least one of the teams ahead of them on my list. Until I see Utah be explosive offensively, I'm going to actually have Utah here. Um, and maybe Cam Rising comes back and, and fixes all of their issues and it helps their run game. Um, and, and those receivers start to show up because they're getting better opportunities due to just better quarterback play. But as it stands today, I would I think that Wazoo scares me more than Utah um, on a neutral field. Now, obviously, playing in Salt Lake is a whole other story and it's a tough task. Uh, so that needs to be counted for um, in your power rating. Yeah, that makes sense. I have um, at four. I've got the Trojans. I, I don't know. I their defense continues to concern me. Obviously, their offense is really, really, really good, and there's only a few teams on their schedule that can beat them. But I think when they come to Notre Dame, when they come to Oregon, when I don't mean, I mean when they come to those games on their schedule, Washington, Oregon, you know, USC or sorry, Notre Dame. I think those are. I mean, they've got to be able to get some stops on defense and. It just really concerns me how one-dimensional they're becoming there. And I also don't think they're running the ball very effectively. And I, I don't know. I, I just think everyone above them on my list has, has a better resume so far. They can certainly move up this list all the way to number one very quickly, but I want to see them actually start doing it. Fair enough. Who do you got next? You didn't go with your number four yet. Did you? I did. No. Oh, you, you said five and four? Yeah. Remember, because I, I said that I have Washington State ahead of Utah. There you go. Uh, so I, at three, I've got Utah. I think yeah. their defense, and this is all the, because of their defense. I yeah, their I just don't. Playing phenomenal I think that their their defense is playing phenomenal football against offense against the not top top tier offenses in the conference. So what does that's it look fair. like when they start playing the best offenses? And that's where maybe I'm doing a little bit more projection, and you're just doing more like based off of what's happening on the Resume. field every Saturday. And they, yeah. making it more resume based, but they haven't they haven't really shut down an elite offense yet, in my opinion. I think that I think UCLA on a week by week basis, if Dante Moore is playing at his best, can be a, a really good unit. But um, I have a lot of questions about the UCLA offensive line after this game, and maybe that's because UC, uh, Utah is really just dominant on the defensive line. Um, I have a feeling it's also a mixture of incompetence on UCLA's front. So. Uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But to me, the third best team in the conference is USC because I trust their offense more than I trust Utah's defense. Fair enough. So you have you had UC, USC at third. Yes, sir. All right. At number two, I've got Washington. Um, yep. I think we Same. talked a lot about them earlier. Yeah, and I know I, I a lot too. of people are going to have them at number one. In fact, I, you know they got a number one vote in the AP poll this week. Uh, they've got a lot of pundits around the country putting them at number two, number three nationally. And I'm not saying they're not, but I I I don't know how anyone could have 
watch their four games and particularly the opponents in those four games and and feel that strongly about them. Well, you're giving them cr- credit for beating teams that maybe historically have been decent, whether it's Michigan State or Boise State or um, the Tulsa. Yeah. But like none of these teams in 2023 are good football teams. And they're actually, all of these teams in 2023 are bad football teams. Um, yeah, the amount of people I heard this week talking about how good Cal is on defense, and I'm just like, no, they're not. Cal- they're not a good they're not good on either side of the hold, ball. Just because you hold Auburn to 14 points does not mean you're good on defense. Auburn's Auburn bad is on terrible. Auburn, Auburn doesn't yeah. even have a quarterback. That's, that's the other thing too, right? Is like as we as we see a larger sample size, we start to get the relativity of these things. Like a performance that might have we we might have thought indicated one thing early in the season indicates something very different later in the season as we learn that teams just aren't good or are good at certain things. Um, and so nothing about this Cal defense makes me think it's elite. Um, and because of that, it, it's like, what am I really getting from watching this Washington offense against it? Like, I'm, I'm learning things I already know. Michael Penix is really good. Their receiver room is really good. Their tackles are good at pass protecting. Um, I don't know any more about their interior def- offensive line than I knew before. I, I learned that they didn't really do a great job of covering a not-so-awesome Cal passing game. Um, and Cal, I mean, Cal did 500 yards and 32 points against them. Like, so... To me, that's enough to at least ask a question about how, like, how is this Washington defense going to perform against the better offenses in the conference? And we'll find out in three weeks. Uh, so that brings us to number one. I've got the Ducks here, and and quite frankly, it's just I think they're the most complete football team in yeah, this I conference. I think they can throw the ball, they can run the ball, they can defend the run, they can defend the pass, and they play good special teams. Like, with I, the accept- with I the know that they're good in all four phases. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. But with the exception of quarterback, they're also the deepest. Right. Right. Like if quarterback stays healthy, Oregon's deeper at every other position than basically everybody. Now there's teams like Washington that have good depth at a position here or there, whether it's receiver or if you're USC at receiver. Um, but like across the board, if we're evaluating every unit and you're assigning the same score to every unit in terms of importance. Oregon's a deeper roster than both USC and Washington. I don't know that it's particularly close. Yeah, defensive line, linebackers, defensive backs. I mean, they order. I mean, they're playing. Yeah, they're playing. They're playing three deep in you know at all of those positions because they can. Yeah, and not just in garbage time, right? I mean, they're rotating in you know third, third, three deep guys in in interior defensive line. They're rotating in you know five guys at corner. In in regular game snaps, you know, if they're rotating in five linebackers. That's without Justin Jacobs, who's likely the best linebacker right. on the team. Pretty right. safe to assume. So uh, what does this look like once you start getting guys like him back in the fold? Right. And they've and they've played seven offensive linemen in meaningful snaps too. They've been rotating both guard spots at various times throughout the last couple of games. And that's again without Struther back yeah. who could be could be back in the next and, week as well and injuries so. happen and your depth is going to get tested throughout the course of a season i just i think that this team has better depth than the other teams and frankly i think that the performances the performance that they put on this weekend was the most performance the, the most impressive performance of a pac-12 team this weekend yeah i mean defensively alone i mean holding colorado to, to 36 yards through 40 minutes of play like yeah, I, I don't care that Colorado was outmatched. Like that's still like that's not easy to do. It's not easy to hold anybody to thirty six yards yeah. in, in, in forty minutes. 
as as Don Pelham and Brady Hoke showed us on countless occasions against FCS teams. Yeah. So I just think they're the most complete team in in the conference. And and you know what? Maybe they're gonna have to wait until that Washington game to to show it to some skeptics. And that's fine. And I don't think they, they care about that either because at the end of the day, it all plays out on the field. Really cool. Got to meet a couple of listeners of the podcast this week. I'm hoping to continue to be able to do that every week that I make it back for games. We'll be back next for the Washington State game, which I think is the next home game, even though it's almost it is. a month out. Yeah, yeah almost a month out. Kind of yeah, so for those of you who sent in questions, I will hold those over. We'll put those on our next show, and, and you got time to get some more in if you haven't already. And uh, we will be back at you Thursday morning with our week five preview, Stanford preview. We'll cover the rest of the Pac-12 games as well and uh, around the country as well. Thanks all for listening. Follow us on Twitter. Make sure you subscribe on Apple or Spotify. Send in some five-star reviews, and we appreciate you all. Good night.